0: Wrapping up this series that we've been in for the last few weeks, and you know, it's been interesting throughout this series. We've kind of explored and extolled the virtues and the blessings of the tribe of faith that, that God calls us to experience. He calls us to express out of the tribe of faith, and and it's been an incredible study. I think as we've seen, not only what Scripture says about how we're to live our lives as people of faith, as a part of the tribe of faith, but also as we've seen stories like Mary Arana's and, and others who have shared with us kind of how God has used the church and, and this this tribe of faith in their lives and is using them through the church. It's been an amazing journey, and I'm so, so grateful to, to Mary and others like her who have shared their stories with us. But, you know, I had a really weird thought. I had a weird thought a few weeks ago as we were praying and preparing and studying for this series but also kind of thinking about how we were going to wrap it up and here's the thought that i had i've never heard anybody preach a sermon on quitting the tribe i've never heard a story or a sermon on somebody talking about how do you quit the church I've I've never heard that. I said in the first service, this is a sermon that I've never heard before, which is not to imply that I preach sermons from other people. I'm just saying, I've never heard anybody even talk about it. And yet, I have never, ever had a conversation or heard about a follower of Jesus who didn't at some point along the way think about, at the very least, think about quitting the tribe of faith. Now, now just for a second, let me me take the church out of this because I started racking my brain and trying to think about just let's go beyond the walls of the church and think about is there anything in life worth doing or worth participating in, worth investing yourself in that that doesn't at some point become so challenging or maybe so taxing that it just causes us to to at least think about, man, I just don't know if I want to keep doing this. There's something within us, I think when we get into something that really matters, that we always think about quitting at some point along the way. Julie and I have been very open with with you, our church, and others, and said, you know, there was a point in our marriage. We got to about seven or eight years in, and we just weren't sure how to get through this this sticking point that we got to relationally. I'll never forget the night that Julie looked over at me and, and with very uncharacteristic tears in her eyes, just said, I think you may have married the wrong person. Whoa. Let me just tell you, as a, as a husband and a dad, forget being a pastor. That's a scary conversation to enter into. Now for us, the good news is we made it through that sticking point. For us, the grace of God came through Christian counseling through some some grueling conversations and and opening up our hearts and being willing to change and and do some things differently and we got through that to where now 25 years plus in we're having more fun now than we ever dreamed possible but but there was that that sticking point I, I think on a on a more superficial level Let me me put it this way. How many of you ever or maybe are now playing high school football? Have you ever played high school football? Let me see a show of hands from the the gridiron people in the crowd, okay? Listen, if you played football at all, especially at the high school or beyond level, there was a point, I know. I didn't play play football in high school. I I retired in eighth grade as an All-American, but I, I didn't. So, but I know, I know enough to know that football players, especially if you grew up in the era where water was for sissies and they'd throw a salt tablet at you and and tell you to suck it up. Boy, sometime during two days in August, especially if it was in Texas, something in your brain went, what in the wide world am I doing here? Why am I putting myself through this? I want to quit. We've all been there. And I think there's there's something inside of us, there's something embedded in our DNA that actually can work to our advantage sometimes. It's that kind of flight or fight mechanism. And and, and like I said, sometimes it's an advantage to us. Think about our forefathers. When our our forefathers encountered the saber-toothed tiger, there was something in them that said, I need to quit this situation or I'm going to become lunch. And so that was a good thing for them to quit. But at the same time, a lot of times, that, that same flight or fight mechanism can really work against us. It, it can cause us to, to quit on a relationship, to quit on a project, to quit on a team when we ought to push through and, and, and keep going to get to the other side of what God has for us on the other side of that, of that struggle. Now, let me just tell you right now, if you have thought about or you're a person who is maybe thinking right now about quitting something significant or or maybe quitting the tribe of faith you can take some comfort in the fact that you're in really really good company ruth bell graham was the wife of billy graham for almost 64 years can we just let that sink in for a second how many of you are under the age of 64 right now? Let me just see a show of hands. So they've, they were married longer than you and I have been drawing breath. Try that on for size. And I'll never forget, one time a journalist asked Ruth Bell Graham about this long and storied romance and love affair that they, they clearly had, said, Mrs. Graham, over the course of your long marriage, did you ever even consider divorce? And I love that Ruth Graham, wife to Billy Graham, replied without skipping a beat, divorce, no. Murder, yes. (laughs) Isn't that great? There's something kind of reassuring about that, isn't it? Anytime you participate in anything worth doing, you will get to a quitting point. And so today... This may seem like an odd, after we've spent all these weeks talking about the tribe of faith and and what God has for us and what he does in us and through us, through the church, to talk about quitting the church. I want us instead to focus on how do you you not quit the church? How do you not quit the tribe? And to to get at this, I want to introduce to you something that that I just kind of refer to as the wheel of faith. It's not the wheel of fortune. It's the wheel of faith. Take a look at this thing coming up here right behind me. The wheel of faith is something that is so important for us to get our minds and our hearts around. So right now I want to ask you while this little thing is spinning behind me, take out your program that you got when you came in, has tribe on the front of it. And I want to ask you to open it up to the message notes page and just number one through eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight down the page. You'll notice there are eight kind of spokes in the wheel of faith. And though you're numbering one through eight, I want you to understand that the wheel of faith is not a linear progression. This is not step one precedes step two. Step one and two precedes step three. Then after completing step three, you can move to step four, on and on and on. The wheel of faith is a holistic, complete picture of Our personal faith development. And each of these pieces or each of the spokes in this wheel of faith are necessary for a fully functioning faith. For a fully developed, a robust and strong faith. And as you go through these you're going to notice that in each of these areas there is always room for growth. There's always room for growth maturity. There's always room to to get better and improve in each of these things. And I will just go ahead and cut to the chase and tell you before we list all eight of these, I've never seen anybody who's firing on all eight cylinders of the wheel of faith walk away from the tribe of faith. I've seen a lot of people who just kind of show up and hang out and sit and soak at church from time to time Those people walk away from the tribe of faith. But the people who are fully functioning followers of Jesus, those are the people who see the whole picture. Those are the people who are constantly improving and growing and getting better. And I want to go to a passage of scripture in Romans that kind of gives us a baseline for where we're going over our time together this morning. Romans is the fifth book in the New Testament. I'm sorry, the sixth book. I I do know this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the big four that kick off the New Testament. Then you've got the book of Acts, which is kind of where we've hung out and and begun this series. But Romans, which follows Acts, Romans is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. The, the, The Holy Spirit of God is speaking through Paul to that church in Rome, but also to you and me who are the direct spiritual heirs of that initial fledgling church. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul is explaining to them some of the the benefits, but also some of the responsibilities and the calling of the tribe of faith. And and he begins this explanation in verse 3 with a a warning, with with kind of a a caveat. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, now, because of the privilege and the authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning, each of you. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. He says, now now be careful. As you look at where you are spiritually, as you evaluate your maturing process and your relationship with Jesus, be very careful and don't think of yourselves better than you are, but evaluate yourself honestly. Isn't that one of the hardest things in the world to do? I think there are a number of tools that God gives us, but, but maybe one of the greatest tools that God gives us to evaluate ourselves honestly is daughters. Daughters, how many of you know daughters will keep you honest, baby? I mean, they will tell you no mercy. You're wearing that My daughter, Emily, she's like, Dad, no, you you can't do that. Because evaluating ourselves honestly is hard. You know, some other translations of the Bible say, think of yourselves with sober judgment. Be honest when you evaluate yourself. You'll remember that as a church, back in January, we launched this year, 2016, as the year of living fearlessly. Fearlessly. And a lot of us started off the year in January of reading one of the chapters in the book of Proverbs every single day for 30 days. And then, in addition to reading scripture every single day together, some of us went above and beyond and started the the fearless 30 challenge. And part of that fearless 30 challenge was that we were going to eat healthy for 30 days. 30 days. No grains. No added sugar. No alcohol. No dairy, no fun, no, uh, just, all, just take it all off the table for 30 days. And a lot of us did that, and I've done the Whole30 program now a couple of times, and it's fascinating, not only what it does for you physically, but what it shows you personally. Because when I did the Whole30 the first time, I discovered a really disturbing trend in my life. I... Cheat. I cheat more regularly than I wanted to admit to myself. I like to think, you know, really I eat pretty clean by and large most of the time. But you know, how many times I, I would say, man, I, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk away from the cookie, put the cookie down, step away, because if I'm not on whole 30, I'll be. And there are cookies in the office, man. It's amazing as our staff grows. There are more and more birthdays. People show up with cookies all the time. Now, cookies are a blessing from the Lord and a tool of Satan all at the same time. I don't understand that theologically. But, but if I'm not on Whole30, I'll walk into the kitchen and be like, man, you know, I had, I had a really, really lean dinner last night. I'm just going to have eight of these cookies right now. Nobody will ever know. It's fine. But we, we, we cut ourselves more slack usually than we ought to. We, we all, we all kind of drift and gravitate toward grace for ourselves and law for other people. But the Apostle Paul is telling us, be careful. Evaluate yourself honestly. Be honest about where you really are in your relationship with Christ. Don't grade yourself on the curve. Don't say to yourself, well... I go to church more than that guy. (laughs) Or I'm not as gossipy as she is. Let me tell you what she said. You see what I'm doing there? Let me tell you something else I discovered again about myself. How many of you have ever said this? Man, I cannot stand judgmental people. I, I, I get just judgmental people. They're so legalistic. I don't like them. And one day the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke into my life. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was kind of like, Mac, you're being judgmental about judgmental people. People say all the time, "Go, I don't go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites." I love to tell them, "Say that's okay. We got room for one more. Come on." (laughs) Judge yourself. The Bible says, "Lord." Search me and know me. Find any offensive way that is within me. Anything, God. You, you have carte blanche in my life. You, you can walk into any room in my life. I want you to clean me out so that I can be yours. So that my faith is fully functioning and there's nothing holding me back. Nothing. And, and this is where Paul starts. But then he immediately shows us Maybe the most valuable tool at our disposal for really and truly evaluating ourselves honestly, he says, be careful, be honest in your evaluation, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us so it 's against god 's standards it 's not graded on the curve we 're graded we 're evaluated against god 's standards. Verse four, check this out now, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other we belong to each other so so the tribe of faith is not just something that we kind of dip our toe in take our toe out dip our toe in take our toe out and then shake it all about we belong to each other we belong to each other and In God's economy, if we belong to each other, then we belong with each other. We we need this. I need you. You need to be a part of a body of a tribe. And we belong to each other. My right arm is my right arm. I happen to be left. I'm I'm kind of squirrely. I write right-handed. I eat. All of my fine motor skills are right-handed. But I throw, everything athletic is left handed. I don't know. That's how God wired me up. Sue me. But my right arm needs my left leg, my my right arm needs both of these massive tree trunks to be strong and healthy and solid. And your laughter hurts. I'm just saying. The whole idea of membership is a Christian concept in its origin. Membership was not invented by Gold's Gym. Membership means a member or a part of the body. My my, my finger, pointer man, my, my finger is a part of my body. Coffee's right there. You need to be in the worship service on time, right there. That. It's a member. I can't do that Blake Shelton little thing that he does. How does he do that? But I need that member. I I need that. As a part of the body of Christ, you are needed. And so when we think about or, or consider quitting the tribe, remember we're walking away from the body that God's called us to. And just so you understand, you're not alone. Everybody thinks about quitting. There was actually a season for Julie and me years ago, not recently, but years ago, where we weren't even 100% sure for, for a season whether or not God was going to allow us to continue as, at Lake Hills Church. We weren't sure whether we wanted to, to be totally candid with you. And we, we prayed through that. We talked through that, we wept through that, we worked through that, and we realized when it was all said and done, this is our calling. This is is what we've been called to, And, and for the foreseeable future, as far as I can possibly tell, we're not going anywhere because this is home and this is our calling, and here's what we learned. Burdens come and go, but calling endures. Burdens come and go challenges. Man, they are are non-stop. But a calling endures. And that's what we've got to remember. So when we talk about this, this wheel of faith, we're talking about fully developing everything that God calls us to in a relationship with Jesus. And to be sure, that always happens individually. Of course, God meets us right where we are personally And everybody say and. And. Don't say and like you mean. I'm happy about it. And. And. Very good. And it always plays out in the context of community. in In the text and subtext of tribe. Together as a family of faith. So what I want to do is kind of begin your list there, one through eight, and very quickly run through this and just start kind of where I think most people begin, not everyone, but most people begin at the point where you attend, where, where you you show up and you attend regularly. You're a part of the gathering because as we've said throughout this series, there's certain things that happen when we gather that will not happen on our own. God does something when we gather for for corporate worship. And when I say corporate, corporate, spiritually speaking, is not a business. Corporate is the body. Corporal. Corporate. Together. There, there's something that happens when we gather together, when we worship together, when we gather around each other. A- and attending regularly is, is, for most of us, kind of where that begins. Attending regularly. The second part of the wheel of faith is, is that we invite relentlessly. We invite people to be a part of it relentlessly. We step outside of our comfort zone and go, you know what? This thing that God allows me to be a part of is so good, it's too good to keep to myself. Julie and I were talking about this dynamic a a few weeks ago, and, and I'll never forget this. Julie said this to me. She said, you know, Mac, it's like New Orleans. I said, love... I've never thought that the church is like New Orleans, much less that New Orleans is like the church. And she goes, "No, well, check this out, because you know she's from South Mississippi, and so it, it was just a part of their family tradition for for birthdays and celebrations. They would go to New Orleans and have an incredible meal and and stay the night, and you know get Cafe Du Mont Beignets and, and walk up and down the river and and ignore all of the other goings on in the streets of the French Quarter." But She said, and I'd been to New Orleans 20, 25 times, And, and to be honest with you, I was kind of over it until, she said, the first time we took Emily and Joseph to New Orleans, all of a sudden it came alive again for me, and all of a sudden I saw New Orleans through my kids' eyes, and I saw New Orleans, and I looked at a. At a beignet at Cafe Du Monde, it was special. And the fact that Joseph could get powdered sugar between his shoulder blades, all of a sudden, I didn't understand that that was even possible. And I looked at at an oyster po' -po boy at at Mother's. I looked at the street performers through the eyes of Emily who was mesmerized by it. And I thought, man, there's some magic here. And, And to be able to share that with my kids, it opened up a whole new world to me. I walked in the door of our office couple of weeks ago on a Monday morning I thought I had gotten up pretty early and was going to beat everybody in and when I pulled into the parking lot there were already a couple of cars here and I was a little bit hacked off because the competitor in me wanted to win <clears throat> and one of the cars belonged to Ryan Kelsheimer our pastor of church life and, and another one belonged to a longtime member of our church and I got out of my truck and I was walked in in the door and they were kind of hanging out in the lobby talking I thought well I'll just real quick run up and say, hi, I've got kind of a list already going I wanted to get started on on Monday morning and just kind of stuck my head and go, hey, how are y'all doing? Good to see you this morning. And this guy who's a member of our church goes, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Now, Monday morning, before breakfast, after Sunday, and you're the pastor and somebody goes, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. That can go a number of different ways. And so I just kind of, I kind of steeled myself. I was like, okay, here we go. He's a great guy, but I mean, Monday morning, man, I'm I'm, I'm zoned out. I'm, I'm tired on Monday. But I said, yeah, what, what can I do for you? He goes, you need to understand, yesterday was the greatest day of my faith journey. All of a sudden, I kind of relaxed a little bit. I said, w- w- what do you mean? He said, there's no way you could have known this. He said, but yesterday morning, you were talking about tribe, and and as we were kind of finishing up Worship and singing together. I just kind of looked down the row where I was sitting, and, and and almost the whole row was was people that that I've been praying for for years. People like in my family, people that I that I work with, family members of people that I work with, friends of mine. And, and I just looked down the row and 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 I could I could see them one by one by one by one. And and, and I thought of all the years that I've been praying for them and and. They were there, and, and everything that happened in that worship service from the songs that we sang to even your message was, was pointing people to Jesus, and I thought, that's why I've been praying for them. That's why I've invited them. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, I'll never be the same again. I looked at my watch. And I said, well, it's just a little after 8 a.m. I believe we're done for the day. Thank you so much. I mean, that's a great way to start your week right there. But when you invite relentlessly, when you pray for people by name that you know who don't yet know how much God loves them, you're never the same. You never get bored with church. You never get bored with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're always remembering what it was like for you when you realized the extravagance of God's amazing grace and you want to share it with as many people as you can. Then all of a sudden you don't come to church. I wonder what they're going to do today. I wonder where they're going to make me sit. I hope it's cold in there. Then all of a sudden, you're looking at it through the eyes of people that you've prayed for, people that you know, people who you love. And it changes everything. So we attend regularly. We invite relentlessly. Number three, we serve selflessly. We serve selflessly. This morning, before many of you were even awake... Because you stayed up to watch Texas play football late last night on the West Coast. That's bad news. The good news is that it is 1151 and OU still lost to Ohio State last night. But <laughs> I digress. Before many of us were even awake this morning, there were over 140 volunteers gathered in this lobby right out here, praying, cheering, getting fired up, getting set up, and working to prepare worship for you and your children. They were here before many of you even knew that today was Sunday. And many of those 140 volunteers were high school and middle school students who were up early on a Sunday morning, (laughs) making it happen. Because they understand that they have gifts, they have talent, they have passion, they have a calling from God to use those gifts, talents, and passions to serve the body of Christ because we belong to each other. They have gifts, talents, and passions that the church needs. Which, by the way, every single person committed to Christ has the same thing. It's just some people actually choose to do something about it. Some people choose to serve selflessly. And people who serve selflessly take a monster step toward everything God has called them to be, everything God has called them to do. But your spiritual maturity will never, ever go beyond your willingness to serve. You will hit a sticking point. You will hit a quitting point. It's in serving selflessly that we learn selflessness, that, that we learn commitment, that we learn self-awareness, that we learn certain things spiritually that we need to give to other people. It's through that selfless serving that that another step of maturity takes place, that that God begins to even further hone us and shape us and sharpen us into what he wants us to be. So, So serving selflessly is huge, huge in the process. The next part of the wheel is to connect faithfully. To connect faithfully. Now, that can begin on Sunday morning worship, but that's not where it stops. That's where it begins. That's elementary school spiritually. To connect spiritually is to join a group, whether it be a life group, a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, maybe to be a part of Fearless Mom Spur leadership whatever it might be you connect and you get to know other people By definition on Sunday morning, you can walk in here and be anonymous and that's okay for a lot of people But for most of us, it's not enough. It's not okay to remain anonymous You you have to put it out there. You have to invest. You have to get to know other people So connecting faithfully matters as Stephanie Kelsheimer said earlier in our service, this week we launch a brand new semester of spiritual growth, whether it be through our Bible studies, our life groups, Fearless Mom, whatever it might be, there's a place for you to belong, but you've got to want to. You, you have to, we, we've prayed about, thought about, worked about, providing the opportunities. Now the ball's in your court. It's, it's time for you to pick up the ball and connect faithfully. The fifth piece or spoke in the wheel of faith is to give freely. To give freely. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're checking things out and you're you're not yet a Christian, ignore that. Unless you want to knock yourself out. But I'm saying to give freely is one of the marks of a spiritually mature person. It, It begins with what we talk about in our offering time, with the tithe, 10% of what God entrusts to you of his stuff, you tithe to the local church, to the tribe. But then there's the opportunity as God provides more to give above and beyond, to to enjoy giving freely, to, to just to just put it out there. The Bible says, to not give under compulsion or because you have a guilty conscience, but to give generously, to give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the original Greek is the word hilarios. So it's a, it's a hilarity of giving. You're just like, this is hilarious. I can't believe this number. Look at that. Ooh, here we go. But, but there's a freedom in that. There, there's, a, there's a joy in that. When it's done as an expression of faith. It's not done haphazardly. It's not done, it's not done dumbly. Or st- you, you think about it. You pray about it. But then if God lays it on your heart, I mean, you, just, you just give freely. You just give freely. My daughter Emily called me from college a couple of weeks ago, and she said, Dad, I wanted to see if I could get an extension on my allowance. Because i have been very, very busy with the beginning of the semester in college. And and we've kind of set up a system where we give her and Joseph an allowance for for school that allows them to eat just barely. (laughs) But then there's a bonus system on top of that where they can earn some spending money by by doing some things that we've all kind of laid out and they know what it is. And it, it works out great. Sometimes it works out great for Julie and me, and they don't get the bonus, and we get the bonus, and it's awesome. But th- in this particular case, Emily was saying she wanted an extension on the time to complete her bonus for the month of September. And I talked to Julie about it. I, I prayed about it and thought about it, and I decided, no, <laughs> not going to do it. I love you. you got, you got enough to, to take care of your needs this month. But if you didn't do the bonus work, you don't get the bonus pay. How many of you know that I did my daughter a favor this month? You know what I'm saying? How many of you know that I even did her future husband a blessing this month? Just, I mean, I'll just put that out there as well. Now, there are times when I kind of like to surprise her, or I like to surprise Joe. And I, and I love, I love to kind of slide them an extra little 20, maybe even sometimes even more than a 20. Sometimes i kind of slide them and put some money in their account that they didn't even see coming. And then I just I deposit it electronically, and then I just kind of wait for the phone call. Or the, the text message. I, I get texts from my kids more than I get phone calls. And, and Emily will text me and go, Dad! All caps, multiple exclamation points emojis coming out of her ears (laughs) thanks so much as a dad I love to do that sometimes but but I I try to do it in a way that that helps her but doesn't create an entitlement thing in her and Joseph and 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 so that that's always kind of a a delicate dance as a father And, and I think that my kids going to college has helped me to understand how God operates with us I think that I think that God wants to cultivate in us a, a generous heart and a generous spirit. And, and when He sees that generosity flow, then He allows the resources to flow to feed that generosity. And when when we see that happen, there there's something that I think what's going on is we're more closely mimicking the character and the heart of God when we're generous with each other, when we're generous with what he's entrusted to us and and when we're more like God, we're more fulfilled and when we're more fulfilled, we're more likely to do it again and then it just becomes a self-perpetuating cycle of faith and fun and joy. And again, if you're not a Christ follower, that that doesn't apply to you, but if you are a Christ follower, to give freely is, is an opportunity to be more like God. It's an opportunity to see God work in your life in ways that you never even dreamed possible. And I will tell you this, at almost 50 years old and being in ministry for 30 years plus, every person that I've ever seen who is generous in their heart and their spirit is less likely to walk away from the tribe. People who are generous, not just financially, but generous in their spirit, generous in their thoughts, generous in their word, generous in their encouragement, Those people typically stick around for the long haul. And sticking around for the long haul is one of the greatest blessings God will ever give us. But it requires a generosity of spirit. We we give freely. Number five, we live biblically. We live biblically. The more we get to know the Word of God and Scripture, the more we submit our lives to the authority of Scripture... Because we understand that Scripture, all Scripture, is God breathed. It's inspired by God. He, he gave us this word as an act of His love and His grace, and it's in that word that our lives work best. And when we submit to that, then we start to see man, this stuff actually works. When I'm more selfless as a husband and selfish, our marriage all of a sudden hits new heights. All of a sudden, when I pay attention and serve Julie and help her needs be met as a wife and a woman and as somebody as a child of God, all of a sudden, she's a lot more likely to kiss me goodnight. Somebody help me preach. I'm just saying, this stuff that God gives us in the Bible works better than anything else. And the longer you fight it, the longer you resist it, the longer you hold back your finances or your sex lives or the way you treat people or the way you handle business or the way you study for school or the way you cheat in school or whatever it might be, the longer you fight it, the longer you miss the blessing of living biblically. And by living biblically we also represent each other better. When you live biblically, when I live biblically, then we represent each other better. And as the tribe of faith, we do better. So, so it's not just my choices. In the tribe of faith, there's no such thing as a victimless crime or a victimless sin. Everything ripples out. It's the spiritual law. So we, we commit to live biblically. We protect passionately. Number seven, we protect passionately the unity of the church how many of you are parents let me see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad have your kids ever tried to play you off of each other you know like they'll they'll say hey dad mom said I could spend the night out if it's okay with you and they've never talked to their mother you know you know what I'm talking about And, and if you think that your kids don't do that you are not paying attention because they man they'll do that but then as a parent we remember oh yeah I'm responsible. Oh, that's right. I'm smarter than they are. And and I've got to stay on top of this. And and so I'm not going to let them divide and conquer mom and dad. Well, within the church, we protect the unity of the church. I've got your back. You've got my back. We've got each other's back. Now, if, if and when we disagree, then we disagree in love. We don't disagree in gossip. Hey, Would you please pray for Deanne Wilson? She is really struggling with being a pain in the butt to work with. And we just want to pray for her, okay? That's not how we roll. People on staff come to me and go, hey, Mac, just privately, can I have a word with you? You're kind of of wrestling with being a pain in the butt to work with. I'm like, oh, well, that's not fun to hear, but let's talk this out. Let's, let's, let's have it out. Let's go. Let's dance. We protect the unity of the church. We protect the unity of this, this tribe passionately. And then number eight, we lead spiritually. We lead somebody, somewhere, spiritually. Every single Christ follower... Every single Christ follower is called to go, therefore, and make disciples. To disciple somebody is to lead them, to mentor them. Now, you're going to lead probably, hopefully, differently than I lead. I've I've got a personality makeup. I've got gifts. I've got experiences that God can use, believe it or not. But so do you. And until you choose to lead somebody spiritually, there's going to be a gap in your faith walk. So all of these spokes, all of these pieces come together in this this wheel of faith to strengthen not only your faith journey, not only your relationship with Jesus, but as that happens miraculously and supernaturally, God uses that to strengthen the entire tribe. It's a beautiful thing when it works, and it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And as I said, it's not linear. All eight of these spokes in the wheel of faith, they're there for us to evaluate ourselves honestly. To think of ourselves with sober judgment. And the tribe is the greatest tool that we have to help. I've never seen anybody walk away from the tribe and get better spiritually. It doesn't happen. In this day and age with blogs and social media, there are, I mean, an infinite number of open letters to the church. This guy, that girl who's outgrown their need for the church and has a new revelation about what church can and ought to be, and that's fine, whatever. I've never seen anybody walk away from the church and get better. We need this tribe. God has wired us up to need each other. I shared with you a few weeks ago, probably a couple of months ago now, um, a guy by the name of Sebastian Younger, who is an author. So happens, Sebastian is an atheist, and he's written a really fascinating book called Tribe. And he writes about this need for each other from a more humanistic, um, anthropological perspective a fascinating read, and and I would suggest, and I actually have suggested to him and tell you as well, I think he arrives at some conclusions that absolutely parallel what the Bible says. But I want to share with you one passage from Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, and, and see if it resonates with you, see if it's not spot on. Younger writes, a person living in a modern city or a suburb can, for the first time in history, go through an entire day or an entire life mostly encountering complete strangers. They can be surrounded by others and yet feel deeply and dangerously alone. Numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society, despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history, that sounds like the world that you and I live in. That sounds like what you and I see happening all around us. But it also sounds to me like an unbelievable opportunity for the tribe of faith. That we get to be the antidote to what Younger is describing here. We get to be the antidote to that chronic loneliness, to that chronic depression. We get to be the tribe that shares with people the irrational, extravagant love of God Almighty. We get to be that kind of a tribe if if we choose to. If we choose to. You see, one of the conclusions that Sebastian Younger comes to is that rising levels of affluence and, and relative success in the world actually becomes a predictor of lower degrees of fulfillment, satisfaction, and psychological mental health across the board. And, and what he's saying is absolutely true, but what he's saying is representative of a spiritual law that is at work. You see, the more that we invest in ourselves, in our self-success, in our self-advancement, by definition, the less we invest personally of ourselves in the community, in the tribe. You see, we, we started living together in tribes because we needed each other for survival. We don't need each other for survival anymore, so consequently, we pull in our driveways close the garage door, and we're chilling on folk. But we still need this connection. It's embedded in us. It's part of what God wired us up with. And so it it becomes a function of our investment of ourselves. Not, Not just an investment of our dollars, but an investment of ourselves in other people. This is how the Bible puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You grew up with the King James Version like I did. As a man soweth, so shall he reapeth. See, so you, you plant generously, you harvest generously. You, you invest all of yourself in your marriage. You invest yourself in the tribe of faith. The tribe of faith becomes your your tribe of priority. Then you get the harvest back. You you don't want to quit the tribe of faith. And all of this assumes that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of this assumes that this whole thing begins and holds together, is sustained, and plays out because of who Jesus is. If you're here today and you've never begun a relationship with this Jesus, we want to invite you to do that. We want to offer you the opportunity to step into a relationship with Jesus and as a, as a function of that relationship primarily to be a part of the tribe of faith, to, to, to be a part of the family of faith. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Just a a sacred moment of of bowing our heads. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, why not right now? Just, Just silently, right where you are, just ignore any distraction that's walking in front of you. Just ignore it. And you just consider for a moment Jesus Jesus who died on the cross for you Jesus who rose again for you and Jesus who commissioned and ordained and created this tribe of faith for you and if you want to step into that, then we want to give you the opportunity just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment. Just silently say, Jesus, just right now, just talk to him silently and say, Jesus, I need you. I want this tribe of faith. I need to be a part of your body. And so I give you my life. I confess my sin. And I will follow you from this moment, claiming your forgiveness. And I give you every part of my life from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a moment, if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And it's a moment that, as the tribe of faith, we want to help with. And so I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, let us know. Just take that info card, that the Connect card that's inside your program, where you can fill out your name and contact information. We always keep that in-house. It never goes out. But just... It's a way for us to begin a conversation. Fill that out, and about halfway down that page, you'll notice there's a place that says, I've committed my life to Christ this week. Just indicate that, and then before you leave, hand that card to one of our ushers. Or you can give it to somebody who's underneath that blue LHC canopy underneath the front porch on your way out. That's the first thing. That'll allow us to begin that conversation to help But then second of all, if that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to ask you just in the privacy of this moment as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand? If you prayed that prayer and gave your life to Christ and surrendered to Him, just raise your hand, quietly but unmistakably. And as you do, I want you to understand that you're doing a couple of things. You you stamp this moment in your life, but also... You stamp this moment in the life of this church. There's nothing more important. This—the whole reason we exist as a church, our calling, is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so we celebrate that. We honor that in your life. So much so that as you put your hands down now, we love to put our hands together and tell you, "Welcome home. Welcome home."